0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing John Kalmako, and we are going to discuss how he has created a heck of an empire with CNS Pharmaceuticals. Before we begin, I'll remind you, this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a content producer, YouTuber, podcaster, or somebody that wants to create marketing content that is tactical and delivers, head over to nightly.productions and find out how we can help you create that content and make it deliver. John, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks. It's great to be here. Man, I'm excited about this because you are unique in many ways as a guest on this show. And I'm really excited because what's interesting is not often do we have publicly traded CEOs, publicly traded companies. I guess you're not publicly traded, but CEOs of publicly traded companies on the show where your level of leadership is really going to be an impressive conversation because you're managing something that has so many different responsibilities, up and down in the organizational chart. I want to give the audience a little bit of an opportunity to know a bit about you before we dive into it, where you're the chairman and CEO of CNS Pharmaceuticals. You're a company that develops novel treatments for brain and central nervous system cancers. Y'all lead drug, y'all's lead drug is verubicin. I probably slaughtered that, but it's the lead drug and it's an exciting discovery treatment of. I don't know why I decided to read this glioblastoma multiforme and potentially for other sinus malignancies. All right. I'm going to stop because I'm obviously not a smart person. Why don't you explain I to know, us? I feel, you
1: know, <laughs> non-scientists like, And and dealing with science all day, I'm constantly
0: mispronouncing. (laughs) Man, it's funny. All that to say, you're leading a mighty and powerful team that is really revolutionizing different aspects of the pharmaceutical realm. And what we're really going to impact today is how you got to where you are, how you're leading a team that's really effective. We mentioned it's a smaller team, but really you've been able to optimize it, which is so powerful for a leader to be able to do. And Overall, before we dive into that conversation, how you got to where you are, what's a fun fact about you that we might not know?
1: <laughs> I was trying to think of this, and when you mentioned it a minute ago what might relate to this conversation, how about a funny story? I'll tell you a funny story, because it would be hard to talk about you know, how I got here without talking about something that had seemingly nothing to do with this, which is mountain climbing. That's kind of my thing. That's what I do for fun. I've been doing it my whole life since I was a kid, all over the world. And a funny story about me was uh, many years ago. I was on my first climbing trip to Chamonix, France, in the Alps. It's like the heart and soul of alpine climbing. And I was out with my partner, and we had set our sights on this peak called the Tour Ron, kind of this classic north face. And so we were all geared up and everything, you know, and we're ready to go. And we leave the hut in the dark and we tromp across the glacier and we're looking around and it's pretty bad weather, hard to see where we're going. And, you know, we just aim for the summit and we, you know, battle through all kinds of various, you know, problems that you encounter in these things. And we get to the top of this mountain and we're congratulating ourselves and we're so excited and you know, but the, as I said, the weather was quite, you know, stormy, clouds everywhere we couldn't really see. And, but, you know, we were really happy that we had pulled off our first summit in the Alps. Here we are, you know, kind of young, like 20 something kids. And just as we're kind of getting ready to descend, the clouds start to part. And we're like, oh, we we're going to get a view. Let's look around. And as they part there, sort of across the valley, absolutely unmistakable was the north face of the Touran. And we were on the wrong summit, <laughs> facing wrong direction, you know, the wrong mountain. But there was our objective way over there. And I don't know why that one came to mind, but I thought to myself, maybe it's just because we're going to talk about like, how you get to where you are and your direction and your focus. And, you know, and that was a great example of just a, a massive mistake in the wrong place.
0: Man, I, and I love that because a, a lot of times business ownership, being the CEO of a large organization, it is like climbing a mountain, right? It seems like there's an endless, just endlessly climbing, climbing, climbing. You get to the peak and you're like, no, that's not quite where we set our sights, right? Yeah. So that's, I, I love yeah. that. That's exactly it. You
1: know, it's exactly it. You can think you know where you're going. And sometimes you end up in a completely different place. And sometimes it's just the tiniest decision, you know, that you may not have given a ton of thought to, you know, that steers you off course. And that was obviously one of those places. But yeah, a lot of my, I guess, leadership skills such as they are or have come from, you know, from that area of my life problem solving in the mountains, team building in the mountains, you know, objective setting, focus, you know, sticking with it through, you know, when you really want to give up or you want to take the easy way or what have you. Yeah. That's been the backbone of my, you know, I apply those
0: things every day. And I mean, you've been in this space, you've been a leader for over 20 years, leading not just your current organization, but... It's interesting. You, it looks like you've maintained in the medical field pretty well, but you started as an attorney. Did you go to right. school yeah. as an attorney? Okay. I did go to
1: school as an attorney. So, you know, it was a really circuitous path even to get there. I graduated from college. And the day that I graduated, I got in my truck and drove out, you know, to the West to start being a climbing guide. That was really all I was interested in. I didn't care about anything else at that point. And I did that for about six years. I lived in my truck and I was a guide and I took clients all over the world to climb mountains. And it was, you know, it was great. And then one day I realized the thing I did for fun, had become my job and I wasn't having as much fun anymore and not to mention that I was broke. And so I needed to do something else with my life. So I decided, you know, to go to law school. You know, I come from a family of lawyers, so it wasn't super far afield. I went to law school. I really loved it. And I loved practicing law. I was a corporate lawyer for about seven years. I loved advising people, you know, on how to reach their goals But then one of my clients came to me with a piece of medical technology that he had patented and wanted to commercialize it. And he didn't know anything about securities law. He didn't know anything about raising capital. He didn't know anything about business. And those were all the things that I did. And that meeting and that project became the company that ate my career. It was pretty soon, you know, after about three years, my law partners essentially said, you got to choose, you know, this is all you're doing anymore. And uh, my business partners had said more or less the same thing. We need a full-time CEO. You're basically our CEO. Why don't you just come here? So I did. And that was about 20 years ago, you know, and it was definitely the school of of hard knocks learning how to, I knew the, it's one thing to be an advisor for people. It's another thing to be doing it. And so I knew kind of all the, pieces to the puzzle, but I had never been the one on the point, putting them all together, you know, the responsible person as you are when you're the CEO. And so it was a very challenging time. You know, it was massive work we were developing at that company a new molecular diagnostic uh, technology that, you know, when I came in, I had no idea what those words meant. And, you know, I had to learn a lot of science, more science than I'd ever learned in school, Uh, but it was fascinating learning. You know, it was fascinating to learn all this stuff and start to see how I could employ my experience to pull this team together and pull the capital together necessary to, Take my partner's vision and initial idea that he had no idea how to execute and execute it with him and bring it to market. And that we took that literally from a cocktail napkin sketch of an idea of what this test would be like, through to partnerships with Johnson and Johnson, Medtronic, and Smith and Nephew, the three biggest companies in the orthopedic space. I mean, J&J is the biggest medical technology company in the world, and we commercialized that product. It's still in use today. And, you know, that was my kind of introduction to being a CEO and leading and uh, raising huge capital and, and all of those things. And, and that eventually led me to what I'm doing today. You know, I like to say if there's a mistake to be made in the process of bringing a technology to market, I probably, you know, if I know anything, I know it because I, I made that mistake. I hit that pothole.
0: <laughs> I absolutely love that. And what's fascinating about this to me is that I, obviously you didn't fall into an opportunity, right? You positioned yourself, you did the right things, you mm-hmm. did the the work and you were helping people along the way, but biomed is like a totally different thing than law, right? right? right, right. How would you say you positioned yourself, like talking to like that leader 20 years ago, how did you position yourself and get the proximity to find this type of opportunity?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I guess it was sort of like a uh, preparation and opportunity, you know, kind of met. Right. And maybe that's the definition of luck. I mean, certainly there was some luck involved in the whole thing. Like there always is. I mean, there's just, there's always luck. Anybody that says there's not, I think it's not telling you the truth. There's always, and usually it's more than you might even acknowledge, but so, I started out my legal career in Silicon Valley and I was working for a big law firm there working on startup companies some of which you know are are big you know household names today so I learned a lot about the startup world and what I learned about the startup world was what goes on behind the scenes not the stuff that you Read about or you experience as a consumer, but what makes that happen? You know, like what's the underpinning of a company? How do you design the documents and draft and create the structure of the company so that if it succeeds, people are actually going to make money, they're going to be happy, those sorts of things. And so I learned a lot about that from a lot of different angles. I worked on some medical technology companies, I worked on internet companies, I worked on all sorts of different things. So I started to see stuff that was interesting to me, you know, it turned out to be several years of experience about that. And I really felt pretty confident that I understood how to form and structure and capitalize a new company successfully. And these were, you know, emerging growth companies is is the term. And I love that. I was never a big organization person. It just didn't fit my personality. I was always a small organization person and a small team person because I like to really feel the stick, you know, like I like to feel like I've got, even if I'm not the CEO, I've got my hand on the stick in some way I can feel the influence of what I'm doing right or wrong. So I learned all that stuff through my formal training. And then the opportunity arose when a person with an idea landed in my office and just had the idea and didn't really understand anything about how to execute or what was even involved. I mean, truly like no concept of what was involved. This was an academic doctor, you know, researcher who had no commercial experience at all. So imagine that meeting, right? Like here's somebody who's you know, an MD, fellowship trained, you know, has massive medical and technical and scientific experience. And here's somebody who has spent years, not just getting a formal education in this, but then practicing. So a decade of working in that space. And we met and it was like, okay, now we have two of the skill sets that we need, but we still, for this project, we needed another set of skill sets. We needed a molecular geneticist, And we managed to find a fantastic molecular geneticist who also had some entrepreneurial experience. And it was like a great you know meeting of skills. So we didn't have a lot of people. We just had a few people around the table, but we were able to sketch out what this piece of technology that we wanted to develop would look like, what it would cost to build it and what it could potentially do in the marketplace. And it was literally like, that little cocktail napkin was what we wrote down was needed was, you know, 10 years later, that was exactly what we had done. And it was just clear, like, unlike the story I told you about in the Alps, you know, where we didn't even know what mountain we were on. This was an example of totally clear focus and vision of where we wanted to go from the get-go. And, you know, my one partner knew how to do it from a clinical perspective. My other partner knew how to do it from a you know, a molecular genetics perspective, and I knew how to do it from a corporate finance perspective. And, you know, it wasn't so much that the finance led the way as much as these guys were not business people and I was. And so that's how I ended up leading the way on that. And then doing that for 10 years, you know, that was a venture backed company. So its entire existence, it was sort of being paved toward potentially becoming a public company you know, super clean finance and structure and all these things that you need for that. So I sort of learned all of that, not to mention learning, you know, how to pitch to investors and, you know, how to grow the team and how to talk to, you know, to sit down with, you know, with Bill Weldon, the chairman of J&J, when you're this itty-bitty little company that's struggling to make payroll, you know, what's going to impress a guy like that, that sort of thing, you know, just all of that stuff. And, you know, you just start picking up
0: skills along the way and having confidence, you know, I knew we could do it. So, and that's actually where exactly where I was going to go. Cause you have this confidence, but you're starting in this new arena, this new venture, you obviously yeah. found some impact players to surround yourself with, but how do you maintain or how do you develop that grit? Because as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as CEOs, like, you have to have that grit because I'm sure not everything, especially in the medical space, I'm sure not everything was, like, all fine and dandy all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's one nothing. of those. rough right. You know, the grit came
1: out of a lifetime of being in the mountains for me. That's where the came. challenge, like a self-challenge where you're doing absolutely. it beyond just a business world. It's a personal yeah, challenge. Absolutely. I mean, I learned I learned from a very young age. I was really lucky to have some mentors in the mountains who taught me skills that gave me the grit. I also was incredibly fortunate to have an entrepreneurial father who had built his law firm on his own. You know, he was a son of immigrants, you know, and as he said it, you know, nobody in the, you know, early 1960s was, you know, hiring a young Italian kid fresh out of law school to do anything. So he had to do it all himself. And it was that kind of bootstrapping mentality that was just in my DNA, literally, but also just like, you know, I found myself most comfortable in challenging situations. And in the mountains, I started developing the perspective because of the nature of the game, where you'd have to ask yourself sometimes, is anybody's life going to be lost here if this doesn't go correctly? You know, sometimes there, the answer was yes. It was really worth that kind of stress and seriousness. But in business, oftentimes the answer is no. Okay. Let's not get too wound up about that. Let's play the game and keep going. Yeah, we hit a setback, but you know what? No one's going to die as a result of it. You know, we might go out of business. That would, You know, that would be not fun, but let's remember what this is all about and just press on, you know, and then I think the trick is applying those values that I had and learned To the situation where you would say to yourself, sometimes, right, you would, you hear no a lot as an entrepreneur, and it comes in so many different forms, you know? I mean, it comes from the investor who says no, or thanks, but no thanks. You know, it comes from the partner, the big partner that says, no, uh, you're going to do it this way, you know, whatever, right? It comes from the FDA saying no, or, and sometimes you just feel so defeated by those things, but you, you have, you have to just step back and draw on these other experiences we all have them, you know, where we've managed to, you know, persevere through something and say, okay, well, I've never heard, you know, a Fortune, you know, ten company tell me no before, and that didn't feel very good. But hmm, okay, I guess we can dissect why they said no and try it again later. You know, it, 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 that's the name of the game is just to keep going. And for me, you know, as I say, I, because I believe this, everyone has these experiences for me mine were, were obvious, you know, I'd been recreating in a way that was dangerous and filled with all kinds of risk and hardship and suffering voluntarily for my whole
0: life. So I had a deep wellspring of that to draw on in in business and still do. And I love that comparison. And I'm glad you went there with it because climbing, I mean, the grit necessary, right? Especially when you get to that peak and it's like a false peak. Right. Like we talked like, about. And I see that so much from the veteran space. And I don't think people 100%. really, you don't see people lean into it though. Right. Like there are lessons from the battlefield that I've taken out the boardroom, but people lie on like, why do you think people don't like lean into that? Like those I, I personal experiences, people, you know what I think it is.
1: I think people, cause I've asked myself this sometimes, like, you know, some people have advised me in the past. They're like, Oh, you know, well, don't talk about that so much or you know, you should really stick to the business or whatever. And you know, that's kind of that's sort of bullshit to me. I mean, I look at it like first of all, this is who I am as a whole person. And I wouldn't be effective doing what I'm doing if I didn't have all those experiences. And they all, in many ways, some of them directly, you know, some of them indirectly have led me here. And But most importantly, they've made me who I am. So whether it's, you know, sort of my personal endeavors in the mountains and projects in the mountains, you know, some of which have been, you know, kind of wild, but it could also be your experience, as you say, on the battlefield, which is the ultimate you know, I mean, it's, the, yes, the, the question I posed this up, well, is anybody going to lose their life over this? Well, pretty much the answer is yes, at all times, you know, I mean, that's invaluable experience. And I think that people should have the confidence to lean into that and not listen to anyone who says to shy away from it, because that's the distinction. That's what separates you from kind of the everyone else if you put yourself in that position and, you know, sort of by definition these days, if you're in the military, let's say, and you, you know, found yourself in a combat position or a dangerous position, ultimately you put yourself there voluntarily. That says a lot about a person. And it says a lot about who you are, I think, as a human being, what your values are and what you're able to withstand and the adversity you're able to push through. And I mean, come on, you know, to my original sort of story and point, it's like, you know, the ability to stay focused on the mission, despite the ultimate adversity. I mean, that's, you know, they are going to find mean, a I way you got to find a way. There there is no no choice. (laughs) Failure is not an option. And I lean into that all the time. And I have most of my career, and I've ignored a lot of that, you know, advice that I've had periodically over over time to shy away from that and just, you know, sort of conform because Mm -hmm. it's like you're never going to be indispensable if you're like everyone else, right, by definition. You're never going to rise to that position of, leadership and trust that other people have in you if you're just like everyone else, because then you're just sort of a cog that can be replaced, you know, but if your individual combination of experiences have allowed you to demonstrate, you know, competence and fortitude and focus and perseverance and grit to get to, you know, where you are, by all means, you should lean into those things because, You know, I know, and as I said, right, I'm sort of a small team person. So every Mm -hmm. single player is critical to the mission. So we hand
0: select.
1: Mm-hmm. those type of personalities and, and people because there's
0: my cfo is a west pointer i mean there's i'm so sorry west point's <laughs> a different breed that's a different breed i'm an army guy but hang on now hang on now. make sure you you he knows that he was made fun of in this conversation no I, no <laughs> he, would probably, he would probably make fun of himself but he, does he have uh, really pretty hair let's be honest he has that hair doesn't he? He's got more air than me. Let's put it More air than me. No, I, I love that. And I mean the correlation, and I, I love this correlation because it really hits home to both the mountaineering aspect of what you're doing being a climber and the military aspect. There's a an old phrase, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in Latin, but it's generally Latin. It's attributed to Hannibal. And is when he crossed the Alps by elephant. And it was supposedly his response when his generals told him it's impossible. You can't cross the Alps with elephants. And he said, I'll, I'll try it. I'm going to slaughter it because it is Latin, but it's aut invinium vium aut facium. And it stands for I shall find a way or make one. And when you combine those two mentalities, I mean, it's like, I'm going to find a way. Or I'm going to make a way, but there is no fail. There is no like I don't believe in failure as a whole. There is no stopping point. like you keep going, and that's the determination that I think the personal values are needed from somebody, especially with a small team. You need people with those personal values that have the conviction like this is the way we're going, and we're going to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: you know, in my email signature, you know, I have another great Latin phrase that I totally love, and this one was I'm going to butcher it too, but it's a Fortunae Decimus. And that means by endurance, we conquer. That was uh, Ernest Ernest Shackleton's family motto, if you know that story. And, you know, to me, that's like, I thought about it several years ago, you know, and I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, I should put this in my email because like, that is how we do this. It really everywhere in life, but in this business, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, people think You know, there's a number thrown around a lot, right? You know, how much does it cost to get, you know, a drug approved in the United States? Five or $600 million. You know, people think, whoa, okay, that's a lot of money, but may have no concept of why it's that expensive and what goes into that number. And the what and the why are years of time and countless false summits that you have to get over, realize you're not quite there, take a deep breath and move on. And decisions that are painful or unpopular or difficult all have to be made with the eye, you know, on that end goal. And it takes endurance and you will find a way or you will make a way. That's Mm -hmm. what these things are all about. And I think, you know, yeah, if you can, you know, back to your your earlier question, it's like I believe that everyone has something like this in their system. Everyone has something in their past or their experience that, if they can draw on it and focus, and it may be years or it may be a single episode, you know, sometimes some catastrophic episode that only was a very short period of time can define you and you know prove you and enable you. I think to draw on and go forward because it's a long game. You know, we all read about these sort of you know, overnight successes in, in various places in business. And, you know, after 30 oh, years of hustling, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. It's like, it was a, as my friend said, is built a very, very uh, successful business. He said, yeah, it
0: was an overnight sensation uh, that took uh, 25 years, you know. And it's crazy, and I, and I love I love this conversation, and I love that somebody like you is, is leading the charge because I think it has to be the grand determination, especially in the med industry, man. It's so many regulations, so many different things, so many so much red tape. There's so many different directions you have to go, and have that resilience around the small team. I love this story that you've already crafted and the works you've done, and obviously you're you're bringing different aspects of things that are truly truly helping people in that medical world. But I'm curious, John, as you move forward, you keep putting all this effort and this grit and determination into everything you're doing. What's the legacy you're wanting to leave in the world with all of this amazing stuff? Hmm, Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think
1: right now, based on what I'm doing, I mean, you know, there's a broader answer, right? I mean, I would like to be a good example for my kids. You know, I would like to be a good example for executives and ethical leadership and fair leadership and, and truthful leadership. You know, we do, I mean, we were just on an investor call today, you know, and he was asking us about some things in our disclosures and so on, right? a so, Sort of classic investor call for public company. And we were proud to be able to say, yeah, you know, this is exactly what we said and we did it and we said that. So then you should assume that we're going to do that in the future because we do what we say we're going to do. That's how we run this thing. But the immediate thing that came to mind was I'm not a scientist by training, right? I have no scientific background at all. The last, you know, the last scientific course I took, I think was, I was a freshman in college, you know? So, and I deal with some complicated stuff right now. I mean, drug development in glioblastoma that we do at CNS is, it's extremely challenging, extremely technical work and i love learning about it i know that you know my md phd colleagues have forgotten more about glioblastoma drug development and the blood brain barrier and all these things that i'm ever going to be able to learn but i try to suck up as much of it as i can because i want to be able to do my job as well as i can do it and the legacy in this case if we're successful which i believe we will be is you know we will see a we will see the first Drug approval in glioblastoma in a quarter century. And we will change the lives of a lot of very sick people and their families. You know, these are people who, you know, I mean, this disease is a horrible disease that we work on, right? It doesn't matter if you're John McCain or if you're Joe Biden's son. If you get glioblastoma, you're going to die. And that's the end of the story today. And it's going to be a fast death relatively speaking, and it's going to not be pretty. And there's nothing for these patients, nothing at all. And I talk to people every single day, everyone from ultra successful entrepreneurs, you know, to sort of just your average Joe on the street, doctors, you name it. And they know that like, this is a death sentence. And we have something that we think can really change that. We think that this drug can, well, this drug has Cured one patient of glioblastoma. This drug has extended the lives of many other people with glioblastoma in our phase one trial. And so I wake up every day excited to do this work, as hard as it is. And some days are very challenging. Some news is very depressing for us. And we press on because I believe that if I take everything that I have to put into this project, my legacy will be a small part of changing tens of thousands of lives that are affected by this disease and giving doctors a new tool um, to use and seeing an approval in this space that hasn't seen anything. And we know this is the case all around the world. And I feel very strongly that if we're successful, if we maintain our focus, if we continue to do this correctly, we will change this space in oncology forever. And that gets me so fired up, especially as a non-scientist. I think, look at that, I could be like a little tiny footnote in this space, you know, the guy who was, you know, a corporate lawyer, right? And I think that bringing all that experience into this space, well, maybe it was something that was missing for this drug, right? Maybe this drug, as strong as it was, needed someone like me to come to the table and champion it. So. That would be legacy enough. The fact yeah, that we would make yeah. our shareholders truckloads of money is a nice component, too, you know. Yeah. But I sort of am I'm guided by I think the right goal. And I we tell this to investors all the time. Real value in this company, I of course we pay attention to the share price. Of course, we feel the pain of our shareholders if the stock price goes down. But the real value here is created when we get this drug approved. And that's what we
0: work on every single day. So yeah. All right, John, I, I love that. I mean, that's one of the reasons when uh, you came across my desk, I was excited to have you on because I can tell if you're out talking about this type of work, man, you obviously have a passion behind it. You have something that needs to be shared with the world. So I am truly blessed to be able to share your story and, and help you further this legacy by getting the awareness out of this and If the audience wants to follow along with this journey, support CNS, what would you say the audience, what's the call to action? Where can they go to find more information about CNS? Sure. So we're CNS Pharmaceuticals. We're at
1: cnspharma, P-H-A-R-M-A dot com. And yeah, and our lead compound is Barubicin. And you can read all about what we're doing on clinicaltrials.gov. So God forbid you're suffering or someone you know is suffering from glioblastoma, you know, I would definitely encourage people to go to clinicaltrials.gov. Our trial is up and running at sites all over the United States and in Europe. And, you know, patients are the life, I mean, not only the reason for what we do, but the how we do what we do. So helping patients helps us to further this drug development project. We trade on the NASDAQ under CNSP. That's our ticker symbol. So you can read all about the company you know there and see, you know, on Yahoo Finance or wherever you get that kind of information.
0: You can see all about who we are and what we do. Yeah. So those are all the places you can learn more about what we do. I love it. John, thank you for the wisdom and the passion you have know, bringing into it. And obviously the great conversation about leadership and definitely have everybody tuned back in this Friday for Tactical Fridays. We're going to unpack a little bit more, uh, a little bit more in depth. John, thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Great deal. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast. And I hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today. I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Night Protection Services. If you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does 5 to $10 million a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs, which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary, all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25% insurance costs. Be sure to visit nightprotectionllc.com.